But the key question is what the future looks like. In my perspective, I feel that it will be the fact that fintechs could take away clients, products, and services that banks provide, and they can be in a competition of the banks where they compete, where those products and services are. Welcome to the NextGen Banker Podcast, where we explore what's next in banking and talk with the innovators responsible for creating positive change in the financial sector. I'm your host, Becca Heft, and I am joined by my Sunrise colleague, Brian Tuft. And I am excited to welcome Wayne Brown to the podcast. Wayne, thank you for being on the NextGen Banker Podcast. Well, well, thank you, Brian and, and Becca. I'm, I'm actually looking forward to our discussion this after today. Well, before we get started, just a reminder to stick around to hear our musical feature at the end of the episode. Each Next Gen Banker episode showcases one new artist from somewhere around the globe, representing a wide range of different genres. So be sure to check it out. Now let's hear about Wayne. He has more than 30 years of experience in the financial services industry. He's the managing partner at the Walker Group, which is a consulting firm for fintechs and banks. And Wayne is also the founder of Fintech Virtual Lunch, which is an initiative started in 2020. Hopefully we can hear about that more soon. So, Wayne, let's just jump in here. Um, we were wondering if you could tell us about your background and maybe how you got into finance. Okay. Uh, well, I, I started my, my career on, on Wall Street as a Wall Street banker. And so I, I worked in, the, in auditing for the early part of my career for about six, seven years before uh, moving out of the U.S. where I was working as a group controller for an offshore real estate development company in the Caribbean. When I returned back to the U.S. five years later, I, I had the opportunity to focus on e-commerce. And at that particular time, with web development, consumers were shifting to utilizing and using the, the, the Internet as a vehicle in order to uh, move money. Uh, and so mm-hmm. I had the opportunity to work in e-commerce. And my first position in e-commerce was at MasterCard. I worked at MasterCard. I worked at FIS. Uh, I worked at uh, Deutsche Bank and Citibank, where I was part of a product delivery team building e-commerce solutions or digital solutions. And then after that, when I left Citigroup, I, I decided there was a, a large opportunity in this space to bring fintechs and banks together. And, and that was something that I really wanted to do for a long time because I felt that there was so much opportunity in this ecosystem for, for fintechs and banks to partner since banks really do partner with a number of different companies along those lines. And I realized I had the opportunity uh, to create up, to create both opportunities for fintechs and banks for partnerships and collaboration. And so that is what I've been focusing on uh, for the last decade, over a decade. Yeah, that's yeah, good that's, timing that's on that. Good. That has only been propelled forward in those last 10 years in a really, really quick way. So tell us a little bit more about um, the Walker Group then. What does the organization do and what do you focus on? When we first started, uh, we had an opportunity to work with a large payment company as, a consul- as an independent consultant to help them with their credit card and healthcare initiative. So I realized that after 11 months of working directly for this for this credit for payment card company, that there was a huge opportunity to work with other companies that really were looking at how can they leverage their technology and their consumer base, how that can interact. So then I realized that there was a great opportunity to, to duplicate that model to other payment technology companies that had good products and had a consumer base. And so that was really the genesis of, of the Walker Group. 
So from that, from that point of working with this payment credit card company, duplicating that model in, in over a decade, we have worked with over a thousand fintechs, whether directly or through incubators and accelerators. So there's one accelerator that's in Canada, in the Atlantic Canada. They had over 107 fintechs in their accelerator. The Walker Group has developed a partnership with Ben Innovation, which is the, uh, the accelerator in the Moncton, Canada, out of Moncton, Canada, that covers the four provinces that are east of the St. Lawrence River, for those from a geographic location. And we've been recognized by the Canadian government as working with fintechs to help them expand in the United States. So there's one fintech in particular that we have uh, worked with over the last three and a half years. And, and right now they have uh, a strategic partnership with MasterCard. That's public as a press release that came out the end of October of 2021, uh, as, well as, as well as two large banks, as well as a large payment processor. And that came directly as a result of our collaborating, working with this fintech and expanding our, helping them to expand with our network that we, that we continue to help fintechs to, to gain a critical mass, uh, and opportunities. You know, I didn't realize a thousand fintechs. That's quite a bit. Let me, let me ask you something, Wayne. You know, in the news, uh, in the last six months or so, there's been just layoffs at fintechs, fintechs closing down. Um, from your perspective, especially from your wealth of expertise from consulting with so many, uh, fintechs. What does a successful fintech look like that will succeed in this volatile marketplace today? You know, Becca, that's a really good question. And, and I will tell you that for someone who has been involved in the ecosystem for well over a decade, to see where we are today is, is, is one thing that, can, that I continue to work with and, and help fintechs. This is not the first time that, that we have been involved in an ecosystem or a situation of a downturn economically. Uh, I remember being involved at the time in 2000 and 2007, 2008, uh, when I was starting to look at even focusing on starting the Walker Group. It was a downturn, and working with fintechs at that particular time was challenging. But to answer your question, one of the things that we do see, that there are going to be some fintechs that are going to, that are going to work through this storm, and there are going to be some, unfortunately, that are going to not necessarily work through this situation. Some of that is because of the fact that they're not well capitalized or mm-hmm. their funding is going to be, uh, is not going to be, their funding is going to uh, have been strained or they're not receiving the funding that's necessary that's going to take them through the next life cycle uh, on their journey. We are seeing that. The other side is that we are seeing that some fintechs need to really kind of set to get their expenses more aligned of what of what they're what the money that they're dealing with or what they're working with to get that more aligned with the actual reality. Therefore, some that were used to spending more have not been able to cut back that spending. They're also going to be impacted. There's also going to be some fintechs that are, are not necessarily going to see the signals that are out there in order to respond to, to what's mm-hmm. happening in the ecosystem and totally ignore that. So some of the things that we are seeing all of these different cases with these fintechs, many of them where they have taken the advice from their advisors, where they are looking at what's what they need to do to cut back on their expenses, where they're looking at how they're going to manage their business differently going forward. Many of those I see that have that have some life that will continue. But if those fintechs are waiting for funding where they're, they're working through their expenses, 
and they're not figuring out exactly what they what they what they need to do in this particular environment, they may be a potential casualty. And that's really what, what we're seeing. I'll give you an example. There's one fintech that I have been working with um, for over a decade, and they've been a client where I have introduced them to large banks as well as credit unions and partners. One of the things that this, this fintech has, 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 has been working with is that they realize the fact that there has to be a, a way that they have to cut back from some of their expenses. And some of those expenses are going to come from um, things that were or initiatives that were very front office, right? Mm-hmm. So some of the marketing, some of the sales, which is really could be a lifeblood, but kind of looking into some of those things, they have to cut back so that they could continue to work in a very nimble, agile way. Um, meet their client expectations, kind of continue to focus on that to succeed. It's a way of doing more with less. And when I say less, some companies some companies have to be are challenged to do much less. Now, there are some fintechs, ironically, that are not even impacted by by what we are seeing as far as the the uh, economic situation. One of the fintechs that I had mentioned, even though we are helping them from a cross border perspective, they're closing deals. They're continuing to close deals. They're in the AP automation space. They're continuing to close deals. Now, it's interesting aspect. Those deals are taking longer to be ingested within the organization. Deals are taking longer to close. The deals are taking longer to scale. So from a revenue realization standpoint, that's going to have an impact downstream from a fintech perspective. So when they thought a deal could close within X amount of months, now it's X plus Y. It's that Y, that X, that Y, those, that additional number of months that many of those fintechs have not been aware of or they have not had the experience previously during a downturn where they know how to maneuver or manage through that process. So, Wayne, really quick, what I'm hearing is that the fintechs that use agility and innovation are the ones that are going to survive. It has nothing to do whether if they're a, you know, a startup, a mid-sized fintech, it's around using innovation and agility. Would you, did I capture that correctly? I would say that's 90% of it. However, in reality, managing through those expenses, managing through, through the, the, especially if they're in a situation that they are receiving a capital infusion, managing through that is also going to be important. Because of the fact that even with the innovation, even with the technology, for those startups that are relying on capital infusion, many of those, many of those particular situations have been deferred. They've been delayed. They've been reduced. So even with great technology, running through those experiences and the burn rate that continues to accelerate will put that fintech in a, in a situation that they may not have been in previously. So where I do see what you mentioned, the agility, the innovation, those late fintechs, that late stage fintechs that do have somewhat of a reserve, that, that do have a customer base that are, that are profit, profitable or receiving revenue, positive revenue, right? Those are going to be in a better situation than those startups that are still scrambling for funding. I have seen situations in answer to the question of working with fintechs that are looking for funding. Uh, many of that, many of those, those conversations, uh, in the fintechs that I'm working with ha- have been delayed or those, those conversations have even been terminated. So even with the great, great technology, innovation, everything could be, could, could be stacked. They're still need the funding mm. because they're, they're not receiving 
their, their cash flow um, is, is, is still not where it needs to be as, as, or should be, or they think it should be, as opposed to a company that's, that, that they're meeting their expenses and so forth. So I just want to kind of make sure from a clarification standpoint that I look at this in multiple buckets, right? And that's mm-hmm. why one fintech, you got two fintechs, look at, they think they look, they could look alike, they could be in the same industry, but when you, when you kind of pull up the covers a little bit, they could be very different situations, mm-hmm. even though they could be at the same stage. Yeah, so that investment, as that investment in funding has slowed down, those deals have slowed down and maybe even in some cases don't exist anymore. And maybe those investors are getting a little more careful in who they're investing in and why. And so that kind of brings me to my next question. That's, you know, that you kind of have that there is a problem for a consumer that still needs to be solved with a fintech, right? And that's still something that all fintechs need to be thinking about. You know, we talk a lot about fintech for good. And as a community development financial institution, CDFI, we're investing in low to moderate income census tracts. And um, we are seeing some, you know, with that problem to be solved in some of those customer niches, some of those fintechs are trying to also help solve that problem. And I was wondering, are there certain segments of the population that could be especially well served by innovative fintechs? Or have you seen some examples of that where, you know, that's really been successful in trying to find that niche in some of those underserved areas? Brian, that's another excellent question. Uh, so I, I, one of the things that I did not mention about my background, which I think is important and relevant to this question, uh, back in 2000, I, I started to focus on the underbanked and underserved market. So at that particular time, I was actually working with a company that was, that was, was a payment technology company that was focusing on the unbanked, the walk-in payments industry. And even though I left that company and moved into other companies, I have always kept, from an industry perspective, I've kept strong contacts. Um, I've kept a strong network around the underbanked. Um, in 2013, in 2007, I worked with NACHA in order to produce a, a, a NACHA book, bulletin, all focused on payment processing for the underbanked, and worked with some of the large underbanked payment processing companies in order to kind of give this market the visibility that it needed, because many people look at the, the unbanked and the underbanked as a market that okay, well it's there, but we can fo- it's, it, well, let's focus on a, on a market that's much larger. Uh, in reality, the underbanked market continues to grow, uh, and so from a fintech perspective, what I've been doing is that I have been working uh, with a number of, of companies that are focusing. They are fintechs that are focusing on the underbanked, and so there's one particular company that is a, a payment a, a, a prepaid card company. And, uh, I was, I came on as an advisor for this company. Uh, they are, we helped them to bring, uh, fintech partners to this company. But what, what is really satisfaction for me is that we were able to get them a no, a multi-million dollars of marketing credits mm-hmm. from a payment processor that can help this company with marketing come to market. One of the things that's really important is that there is, there are very strong initiatives with companies that are looking to focus on the underserved. Some companies put this under their DEI initiative. Some companies put this under other initiatives where they do have money available to help this market, to help fintechs uh, in this in this particular market. I worked together with another company about three years ago. I, I worked with them for a five or a six month project, helping this fintech to engage and interact with a large financial institution because they were looking at some of the some of the, the tools and products that this bank had. To align them with this, to be aligned with the fintech 
in order to build a partnership. So from that particular point that you've mentioned, there are opportunities. But the only difference is that I look at these opportunities as diamonds that are in the rough. Or the, and then it's the fact that it, it, it's to, to create visibility to these fintechs that are doing or focusing in this market to bring them opportunities. And many of the times that many of the fintechs that I have worked with that are in this particular ecosystem are not necessarily fully aware of what they need to do, what that journey needs to, what that journey consists of so they can build these partnerships with banks. There's money there, but, and there's opportunity there, but seeking and finding that opportunity may not be as obvious as other opportunities and uh, other collaboration, the opportunities that are in, that are in the space. But as far as education around the un, unbanked, uh, underserved, um, there's different words for it in the industry. But what is the biggest thing you think we can do? You know, we have Sunrise Banks, who we are a socially responsible bank. We, you are working with fintechs and other partners who are reaching this niche market that are making an impact and helping build financial wealth for these underserved communities. What's the one big thing that we can do to help grow that um, interest in getting other companies, other banks, other fintechs involved in this? So, so Becca, I have been involved in, in financial services for my entire career. Um, Sunrise Banks came on my radar with regards to a client that I was working with three years ago. Now, it was a client that was in the, the prepaid space that was servicing the underbanked, unbanked market, a prepaid card company. So at, prior to this, I did not know where Sunrise, who, Sunrise Banks, I didn't know what they did, what their focus was, what their mandate is. That put Sunrise Banks on my radar where I started to check the website. Uh, I started looking at some of the, the uh, webinars that were going on because I realized the fact that th- this this was new to me. So from Sunrise Bank's perspective, I think the the, the opportunity of what you're doing right now and really getting the word out of, of, of how you work with fintechs, how you focus on this market, I think is so key. Because if I wasn't aware of Sunrise Banks, and I'm someone who's been in this industry for 20 years, they may be others also that may fully not be aware of what Sunrise Banks is doing in a leadership position to have a, to have a key role in, in this industry. Um, and so as I started going down the path of my own research, then I started noticing and seeing Sunrise Banks in areas that, that I didn't see them before. Um, and I really think that from a marketing perspective, from an education perspective, I think there's a huge opportunity to make it known further. So what does that look like? That looks like collaborating and partnering with organizations. That looks like collaborating and partnering with fintechs. That looks like raising the visibility of what Sunrise Banks is doing today so that others in this ecosystem will actually know um, how Sunrise Banks is partnering, not just in one geographic location, but but really companies and, uh, and fintechs you know, throughout the, throughout the, uh, the uh, U.S. being aware of the role that, that uh, Sunrise Banks is, is, is playing. We appreciate that. We totally want to get the word out and make yeah. everybody aware because it is yes. it is a big part of our mission. Um, I wanted to zoom out for a second about, you know, fintech and banking. 
Um, you know, fintechs have, have, as we mentioned, ton of investment, a ton of funding, which has pushed banks forward. At first, there was this resistance to fintechs, and now there's this collaboration aspect, and and banks even saying, "Well, we can do this too," you know, and trying to improve all things from a customer experience to a uh, trying to bank the underbanked. What I'm wondering, you know, you've been in a while, you've been in the fintech banking space for 10 years, looking at the next five years, 10 years, where do you think it's going, you know, in terms of banking and fintech? What do you see on the horizon that we should be watching out for, thinking about? So the the, the fintech bank partnership is one that continues to evolve. The The challenge that many banks have is the ability to identify and onboard that fintech because you know again banking highly regulated industry there's there could there is risk uh the risk needs to be managed there's compliance all of these things continue and and when i'm in, and working with banks on a regular basis and working with fintechs this is something that continues to resonate it is challenging to to onboard fintechs in mass one of the things that that i am seeing right now is that there's also Opportunities where fintechs are taking away the product and services that banks provide, right? So where it's seen as a partnership in a number of situations, it is seen as competitor. A fintech can actually compete with a bank. Now, banks provide their services that banks traditionally provide, but and fintechs don't necessarily provide that in and of itself. But when you start kind of examining fintechs and bank partnerships, it's a way that there is a there could be a collaboration of some sort at different levels. But the key question is what the future looks like. In my perspective, I feel that it will be the fact that fintechs could take away clients, product and services that banks provide. And they can be in a competition of the banks where they compete where those product and services are. When it comes to lending money, when it comes to all the other core core services that banks provide, they would, they would traditionally be able to do that. But this whole innovation aspect of providing new technology, all these different things that they're partnering with fintechs, fintechs are going to provide that without the bank. And I have seen in some of the banks that I'm in where banks are losing business. They're losing RFPs to the fintechs directly, uh, because many banks are partnering with fintechs to provide these added services. There are some uh, situations where they, uh, the, uh, the, the, there is an engagement directly with the fintech. The bank is not necessarily needed in that particular situation. And I think with, I think historic, uh, in the future, we're going to see a lot more of that. So this is the perfect segue to our last question. And Wayne, we asked all of our guests this question. Um, but when we think about the next generation banker, what do they look like? I'm, I'm, I, um, that's a, a very loaded question, by the way, Becca. Because mm-hmm. I know. <laughs> okay. So, so I'm going to give you my perspective. The next generation banker looks like nothing we've ever seen. Uh, and the reason why is the next generation consumer is very different. They want it now. They want it instant. They want to do payments in an instant way. They, they want to do it on their, on their mobile device. They want to engage through a mobile device and they don't want it to be complicated. They want to, they want to engage 
through 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 an interface that they're very accustomed to. But they need they want information, but they don't want a lot of information. And they're not necessarily going to use a bank in the traditional way that the other generations have used them. They, they're, and, and I'm not saying because the next generation banker doesn't even know how to write a check. We understand that. And that's something we've talked about many years, for many years, but they don't even want to engage in the way that, that previous generations have engaged. And I think that's something, you know, through APIs that we see this happening, um, through other areas that we see this happening. Um, that's, that's what most, most of one of the things in which we're seeing um, with that generation. And it's something in which we're seeing evolve. We see it highly segmented um, of, of, of products and services um, that they are interested in, but they're not necessarily going to engage in the bank the way that we think they're going to engage in. Wayne, it's been so great to have you here with us today. Thank you for your time. And thanks for listening to the Next Gen Banker podcast. We'll see you next time. Thank you. Really appreciated this discussion. This episode's musical feature, we're showcasing August Anderson. Scandinavian duo Mike August and Adrian Anderson combine their inspirations of folk and electronic dance music to create August Anderson. With a spirit born on the streets of Stockholm, the two tell the melodic story of their lives through the songs they cultivate. Here is Feelings That I Know, by August Anderson. Cause I can run, but I can't the feelings that I know. I can't keep bottled up inside. And all I wanna know is are you ready for the ride? What have I been waiting for? Oh, I can run, but I can't hide the feelings that I know. That was Feelings That I Know by August Anderson. You can find more of August Anderson's music on Spotify. If you would like your music featured on the Next Gen Banker podcast, email david at nextgen-banker.com with a link to your music and website. Thanks for listening to the Next Gen Banker podcast. We'll see you soon.